Welcome to the September 8th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. In today's podcast, we review new research demonstrating that continuous exposure to bispecific antibody therapies induces T-cell exhaustion, and that pausing therapy intermittently may be a powerful strategy to reinvigorate those T-cells. We'll also review a study demonstrating that in teenage boys, exercise is associated with an increase in factor VIII activity that is similar but short-lived compared to what is achieved with intranasal desmopressin. Finally, we'll review research showing that inhibiting MDM2 increases the potency of T-cell responses in AML while facilitating the graft-versus-leukemia effect in mouse models of allogeneic transplantation. Let's start with the research article entitled, T-Cell Exhaustion Induced by Continuous Bispecific Molecule Exposure is Ameliorated by Treatment-Free Intervals, by Nora Philippe of University Hospital, LMU Munich, in Munich, Germany, and co-authors. The use of T-cell recruiting bispecific antibodies represents a novel and promising treatment approach for hematologic malignancies. Blinitumumab, a bispecific antibody that targets B-cells via CD19 and T-cells via CD3, is approved for treatment of certain patients with B-cell precursor acute lymphoblastic leukemia. However, some patients are refractory to bispecific antibody treatment, highlighting a need to identify resistance mechanisms. Evidence now suggests T-cell dysfunction may contribute to therapeutic resistance. In patients with B-cell ALL receiving blinitumumab, Responses correlated positively with CD3-positive T-cell expansion and negatively with frequency and regulatory T-cells prior to therapy. Inferior blinitumumab responses were also linked to an increase in exhausted T-cells. The phenomenon of T-cell exhaustion is well described in chronic viral infections and more recently in cancer. With continuous antigen exposure, T-cells express inhibitory checkpoint molecules, including PD-1, TIM-3, and LAG-3. The T-cells become hyporesponsive, with a gradual loss of proliferation, cytokine secretion, and cytotoxicity. In the present study, Philippe and colleagues tested ex vivo T-cell function in B-cell ALL patients who received blinitumumab continuously for 28 days, finding decreased cytotoxicity and interferon gamma secretion. When blinitumumab was stopped, T-cell function then increased. These results supported their hypothesis that continuous bispecific antibody exposure may impair T-cell function. The investigators then analyzed T-cell function using a 28-day in vitro model system that mimicked chronic exposure to a bispecific antibody. They co-cultured healthy donor T-cells and a CD19-expressing B-cell lymphoma cell line in the presence of AMG562 an investigational CD19-CD3 bispecific antibody with an extended half-life. Prior to stimulation, very few T-cells expressed the inhibitory receptors PD-1, TIM-3, and LAG-3. However, after seven days of exposure to AMG562, co-expression of these three molecules was observed in more than 60% of CD4 and CD8-positive T-cells, which was maintained through day 28. Investigators also observed upregulation of the transcription factor TOX, along with decreases in cytokine secretion, T-cell proliferation, and cytotoxicity. Next, investigators sought to determine whether treatment-free intervals, or TFIs, would ameliorate T-cell exhaustion and allow for functional recovery. 
They set up resting periods between days 7 to 14 and again on days 21 to 28. During the TFIs, significantly fewer of the T-cells expressed PD-1, TIM-3, and LAG-3. By the end of the first TFI, only about 22% of T-cells expressed these inhibitory receptors, compared to 57% of controls. Upon re-stimulation with the bispecific antibody, expression of inhibitory receptors bounced back up to 58%. Yet despite this, the T-cells stimulated with a schedule that included treatment-free intervals had significantly higher secretion of cytokines, invigorated T-cell proliferation, and increased cytotoxicity. Through RNA sequencing, investigators demonstrated that TFIs induced transcriptional reprogramming in T-cells and rewired T-cell metabolism to increase glycolysis. Memory-related genes were highly enriched in the TFI-stimulated T-cells as compared to controls, while genes related to cell cycle and activation were downregulated. Genes involved in T-cell exhaustion were also downregulated by TFIs. Following re-stimulation, T-cells re-expressed genes involved in activation, growth, and cell cycle, while exhaustion-related genes were downregulated compared to continuously stimulated cells. Finally, in vivo experiments demonstrated that treatment-free intervals improved leukemia control. In a patient-derived xenograft ALL mouse model, T-cells afforded a TFI with no AMG562 were able to clear leukemia, whereas T-cells continuously stimulated with AMG562 did not. Furthermore, use of a treatment-free interval resulted in greater T-cell expansion and higher cytokine levels following AMG562 injections. In a commentary, Cristina Tofalori and Luca Vago of IRCCS San Rafael Scientific Institute in Milan, Italy, said that Philippe and colleagues show for the first time that continuous engagement of T-cell receptors by bispecific antibodies leads to their exhaustion, whereas interjecting treatment-free intervals may help preserve their fitness and improve long-term results. In the bustle of everyday life, they wrote, Taking a break allows one to regain composure and focus, improving the chances of successfully completing a challenging task. Apparently, this is not so different in modern cancer immunotherapies. The implications of the present work are straightforward, according to Tofalori and Vago, and will promote the conduct of clinical trials comparing continuous administration of bispecific antibody therapy to a schedule in which treatment and TFIs are alternated. Those studies should not only look at how this protocol change impacts disease control, but should also include biological monitoring to corroborate the present findings and further optimize administration schedules. Let's review the next research article, titled Moderate Intensity Aerobic Exercise versus Desmopressin in Adolescent Males with Mild Hemophilia A, a Randomized Trial. The first author is Rutain Kumar of the Dana-Farber Boston Children's Cancer and Blood Disorder Center in Boston, Massachusetts. In the past, individuals with hemophilia were discouraged from participating in sports or vigorous exercise due to concerns over bleeding risk. However, recent studies have documented the benefits of sports and exercise among people with hemophilia, including improved muscle strength, joint health, and endurance. Furthermore, exercise may reduce bleeding frequency and severity, slow progression of previous joint damage, and improve social inclusion. Now, treating clinicians must balance the benefits of sports and exercise with the potential for increased bleeding risk for patients with hemophilia. Factor 8 levels of at least 20% may be required to prevent joint bleeding. 
In people with mild hemophilia A, use of intranasal desmopressin can increase coagulation factor 8 activity, or factor 8C. However, this costly treatment requires fluid restriction and can cause headache, vomiting, seizures, and tachycardia. Aerobic exercise may be another approach to managing bleeding risk. In a previous study, a moderate-intensity aerobic regimen increased factor 8C by more than twofold in eight adolescent males with mild or moderate hemophilia A. In the present study, Kumar and colleagues compared the ability of aerobic exercise and desmopressin to increase factor 8C levels in adolescent males with hemophilia A, with a hypothesis that exercise would be non-inferior to desmopressin. They also wanted to evaluate the impact of combined exercise and desmopressin, reasoning that the interventions would be additive. Their randomized, non-blinded study was conducted at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto and Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. They included males between 13 and 21 years of age with mild hemophilia A. Patients were randomized to one of four arms including exercise alone, desmopressin alone, desmopressin followed by exercise, or exercise followed by desmopressin. Patients allocated to exercise cycled on an ergometer with a workload that increased over the course of 12 minutes until it reached 85% of their maximum predicted heart rate, which was maintained for another three minutes. The dose of intranasal desmopressin was 150 micrograms for patients who weighed less than 50 kilograms, and 300 micrograms for those weighing 50 kilograms or more. Blood samples were taken at 30, 45, 75, and 135 minutes after the start of the intervention. Moderate-intensity aerobic exercise and intranasal desmopressin improved factor 8C by a fairly similar degree. In the exercise arm, the mean factor 8C increased 1.7-fold, from 31.4% at baseline to 54.7% at approximately 30 minutes. In the desmopressin arm, the mean factor 8C increased 1.9-fold, from 24.5% at baseline to 45.7%. Those changes were similar, with a non-inferiority P of 0.04, though this did not reach the a priori significance level of P less than 0.025. However, the response associated with exercise was short-lived and was nearly completely reversed by approximately two hours. The highest median factor 8C in the exercise arm was noted at 30 minutes and began declining at 75 minutes. By contrast, the median factor 8C in the desmopressin arm reached its highest point at the 75-minute mark and plateaued by the 135-minute mark. 67% of patients randomized to both exercise and desmopressin had a normal factor 8C at the 75-minute mark, which persisted in 60% at 135 minutes. By contrast, normal factor 8C at those time points was seen in only 35% of patients who received desmopressin monotherapy and 24% who received exercise monotherapy. In a commentary, Mira Chitler of Central Michigan College of Medicine said that these findings demonstrate that intranasal desmopressin alone or combined with exercise leads to sustained increases in factor 8C compared to exercise alone. If confirmed to be clinically effective, Chitler said, this approach could be an option to prevent bleeding episodes prior to participation in sports or physical activity in non-severe hemophilia patients. Although more patients achieved normal factor 8C with the combination of exercise and desmopressin, some benefited from even monotherapy at the 75 and 135-minute mark. Thus, Chitler said, 
A trial of desmopressin with factor 8C assessment at 90 and 135 minutes could identify those who may benefit from desmopressin stimulation alone, a less burdensome treatment option. She also notes that the benefits of exercise and desmopressin could potentially be extended to women and girls with hemophilia, most of whom fall into the moderate and mild category. Accordingly, Kumar and colleagues are currently conducting a prospective study investigating the impact of exercise on hemostasis in adolescent females with hemophilia. The final study in today's podcast is entitled Targeting MDM2 Enhances Anti-Leukemia Immunity After Allogeneic Transplantation via MHC2 and TRAIL-R12 Upregulation. This research article was provided by Jenny Ho of the University of Freiburg Medical Center in Freiburg, Germany, and co-authors, along with collaborators at other institutions in Europe and the United States. First, some background. Allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplantation reduces risk of leukemic relapse in acute myeloid leukemia and is curative for many patients. The benefit is dependent in part on an immunologic graft-versus-leukemia effect mediated by donor T-cells that recognize foreign MHC molecules on AML cells. However, about one-third of AML patients undergoing allogeneic transplantation relapse after transplant, and the majority of these will die of their disease. This highlights a need to better understand mechanisms of AML resistance to immune responses and develop novel approaches to combat this resistance. Major mechanisms of immune evasion of allogeneic T-cell responses include reduced MHC molecule expression on leukemic cells and genetic loss of mismatched HLA. These findings suggest that strategies to boost MHC2 expression might improve anti-leukemia immunity in the post-transplant setting. In the present study, Ho and colleagues identified inhibition of the MDM2 protein as a specific strategy to increase expression of MHC2 on AML cells. MDM2 functions as a ubiquitin ligase, recognizing the transactivation domain of the pro-apoptotic tumor suppressor P53 at its N-terminus. MDM2 inhibits the transcriptional activation of P53 and facilitates its proteasomal degradation, and conversely, MDM2 inhibition can increase P53 activity. It's been previously shown that in AML, P53-dependent apoptosis can be induced by MDM2 inhibitors. P53 also upregulates the expression of some immune-related genes, including type 1 interferons and MHC expression. Ho and colleagues thus hypothesized that MDM2 inhibitors could reverse AML immune evasion following HCT. In their investigations, they sought to restore P53 activity through MDM2 blockade, with the goal of rendering AML cells more vulnerable to donor T-cell-mediated cytotoxicity after transplant. Overall, the results show that inhibition of MDM2 impacted both AML and T-cells, favoring anti-leukemic immune responses. The investigators demonstrated that inhibition of MDM2 increased expression of both MHC1 and 2 on AML cells, and improved survival in xenografts of human AML samples and syngeneic mouse models of leukemia. By inhibiting MDM2, the investigators also observed increases in trail receptors 1 and 2 on leukemia cells, making them more obvious targets for T-cells, and more susceptible to cytotoxicity mediated by T-cells. They also observed increased proportions of non-exhausted CD8-positive T-cells, with features of cytotoxicity and longevity, that were able to eradicate leukemia. 
Compared to vehicle controls, CD8-positive T-cells isolated from leukemia-bearing mice and treated with an MDM2 inhibitor following allo transplant had higher glycolytic activity, as well as enrichment for nucleotides and their precursors. Mechanistically, effects mediated by MDM2 were found to be P53-dependent. Knockdown of P53 prevented trail receptor and MHC2 upregulation, while binding of P53 to trail receptor promoters increased in response to MDM2 inhibitor treatment. In an accompanying commentary, Marie Bleakley and Melinda Bernacki of Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center in Seattle, Washington, said that this comprehensive series of experiments demonstrate that MDM2 inhibition increases the potency of T-cell responses to AML and facilitates the graft-versus-leukemia effect in murine models of allogeneic transplantation. This work addresses a significant unmet medical need for novel approaches to targeting mechanisms of AML resistance to immune responses. A clear next step is clinical research. Clinical trials of MDM2 inhibitors are already underway in patients with AML, and meanwhile, research in the post-allogeneic transplant setting is planned. In a Novartis-sponsored Phase 1-2 proof-of-concept study, Siramadlin, also known as HDM201, will be evaluated for preventing AML relapse following allogeneic stem cell transplantation. The study, which is not yet recruiting, will enroll an estimated 32 patients and has an anticipated start date in November of 2022. According to Bleakley and Bernacki, it will be important for clinical trials to address whether the use of MDM2 inhibitors in transplant recipients might be hindered by the cytopenias and gastrointestinal toxicities of these agents observed in other clinical settings. In the bigger picture, the present findings could have implications beyond allogeneic transplantation. Since MDM2 inhibitors increase the susceptibility of AML to T-cell cytotoxicity, it's possible that this strategy could be evaluated in the context of CAR T-cell therapy or other approaches to targeted T-cell therapy. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.